Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Some of y'all are weirding me out. You're sitting on the wrong side, so you normally sit. What is going on? <laughs> it is uh, great to see you guys this morning. My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm lead pastor here at Allen Community Church alongside of a, a wonderful pastoral team. Our heart for you this morning is God's heart for you. We want you to know him. We want you to know his love for you. I do welcome you to Island Community Church, and I'm so thankful uh, that you have joined us this morning. I hope in some way to be able to encourage you today as we continue in worship and open God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans, because we are in the middle of a study of this wonderful, wonderful book. Um, And we are in Romans chapter 8 right now. Really, um, most would say one of the absolute most wonderful chapters of uh, Scripture. And it's just full, as I introduced the chapter last week, full of blessings and promises and privileges for those of us who are belonging to Jesus Christ. And this book of Romans is all about what God has done, what God has done in Jesus Christ to save all who trust in him. And I do pray this morning that you do know God through Jesus Christ. And if you don't this morning, I pray that you would come into relationship with God even today because there is a way through what God has done for you in sending his only son and his love for you. Jesus came to provide righteousness for you, righteousness that you don't have and so desperately need to be right with God. Jesus came to forgive you of all of your sins. He died on the cross in your place that you might have forgiveness of all sin. Forgiveness you so desperately need because all of us are sinners. None of us are righteous, no, not one. And Jesus was put to death in our place. And after three days, he rose again to newness of life and he lives today. And he is savior. He is Lord. He is king. And he has all power, including the power to make you new. And so I pray that you know God through relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray you've repented of sin and put your faith in Christ. And if you haven't, even now you can do that because he loves you. But this morning, what we're going to do together is march forward in this wonderful book as Paul has been talking about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We're going to be marching forward uh, into some new territory this morning, and I'm really excited about it because this morning we're going to get to talk about being children of God. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, and so hopefully you've got your Bibles open by now to that place. And if I could get my Bible turned around the right way, I could actually read it. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. It's here on the screen as well, and I read from the ESV. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This morning we talk about what it's like, this incredible gift that God's given to be children of God. Last week we started answering the question as we moved into this chapter, what does everyday life look like for the Christian? We've talked about how the gospel is foundational, but it's also transformational. We talked about how ultimately, like, we have this new experience in life when we come into relationship with God. And what we've been asking is, as we're going through this current section, Paul's talking to us about what life looks like in this new life with God. What does daily life look like? And secondarily, how is it that we can experience more fulfillment and more freedom in God? And last week, we started the conversation by talking about the spirit-filled life and how this new life with God does not look like legalism and it does not look like license. It looks like life in step with the Spirit. It looks like experiencing more of what the Spirit of God wants to do in our hearts and in our minds. And last week we talked about that concept of assurance in freedom. We talked about that mindset uh, and we talked about the need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But today we're gonna be talking about this reality that part of what life looks like for us now that we are in relationship with Jesus Christ is learning to enjoy life as a child, to enjoy life as a child of God. And so this morning, we're gonna be talking about this clear theme. So the reason that I've structured the way that I've structured uh, the breakdown of this particular chapter is really this entire section, all of it is using conversation with us around us understanding ourselves as children of God. And I'll talk about that more in a second. I wanna start by talking about this story. 
2013, there was a kid um, whose name was Davian only. The world got to know him in 2013 in a big way. Tons of stories were run on this. You can look it up later, ABC News, it was on the Today Show, all that kind of stuff. At that time, he was 15 years old. And he um, was in Florida. He had been in foster care his entire life. Um, His mom had him when she was in prison. He was turned over to the foster care system and um, on us, just before the event that made national news, he had found out that his mom, who she was, her criminal background, and he had also found out from a public library that she had recently died. What made national headlines was that it came a Sunday, bright Sunday morning in Florida, this 15-year-old kid decided that something needed to change. And he stood up in front of St. Mark Missionary Baptist Church in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he stood there with a sign making a public plea for a family. He stood up and asked, would you adopt me? He describes on national news and reports that he had been so broken in recent years and the news about his mom, who she was, and the life that she had lived and what she had chosen that ended up costing him and inevitably her death um, had just wrecked him. But he had decided that he needed to make note of something he had felt in his heart for a long, long time. That he finally found the courage to say, which is, I really, really need, I need a forever family. He's told ABC News when he was interviewed, I'll take anyone, old or young, dad or mom, black, white, purple. I don't care. I would just be really appreciative I'm, I'll be the best I can be, he said. I'm just, I'm just hoping to have a family. He said, I know that y'all think that I might be too far gone for this. I'm 15, he said, but despite my age, I still need a parent. I just want to let people know, this is his quote, I'm reading from his words. I just want to let people know it's hard to be a foster kid. People sometimes don't know how hard it is to not have a family. Well, the story broke. National news was overwhelming. Within a matter of days, tens of thousands of calls were made to adoption agencies. Requests were pouring in from across the country, across the world. Even today, y'all, there's over 100,000 children waiting to be adopted in our country. And some of you may need to consider this. We need to think about what we could do to help children like Davian. Many, many people began to think about it, but the process ended up being a lot harder 
it was realized there's a lot of challenges. Many of you know the system. There's a lot of challenges when you're a foster kid working into a forever family. And the family that actually reached out initially to adopt Davian, he had a trial period with them and it didn't go well. In fact, um, there was an altercation with a member of that family and that adoption did not proceed. And David ended up back in the same place that he had been, but there's good news to the end of the story. Um, Davian only got a happy ending. After all that Davian went through and the process of waiting on a fam- forever family and then that family not working out, it was actually Davian's, Davian's um, Connie Going is her name. It was the child care agency worker. She had been his case manager for 15 years and felt so moved (laughs) to get a forever family for Davian that she ended up adopting him herself. And today, um, Davian has a family. The end of the article struck me because it said that Connie, who ended up taking Davian in, she quoted as this. I think it's a, a human thing to want to be loved and to want to be wanted to have a family. And when you don't feel like you are, it's really hard to succeed in life. I know that we all agree. This story is reflected, the reason that it pulls at our heart, the reason that as I heard about it, it brought tears to my eyes. The reason I feel so overwhelmingly happy for Davian that he finally found a forever home is because it tugs at our hearts because it's reflective of a much bigger, much truer reality. We are created to belong, to belong to a family. And specifically, God created us to belong to his family. And one of the horrors of sin in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationship with God is that it pushes us by our own choice outside of the family of God. But one of the most amazing realities of what Jesus Christ has done for us is made it possible for us to come back in to the family of God. God knows that apart from us knowing that we are loved and accepted, that we belong to him in his family, it will not be possible for us to live a flourishing life. And so part of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ is the opportunity for us to come back into an ever-growing, flourishing life with him as his children. And aren't you so grateful? This morning, we're going to be looking at this in detail as we study the text. And the reason that I'm telling you this passage is about the children of God is because the language of the passage is so specific 
around the language of family. Three different times, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 19, the word sons is used. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. By the way, ladies in the room, I don't want you to think that you're not included in this, all right? So Paul's writing in a Roman context, the privileges and the power, regardless of what you think about it, the privileges and the power of sonship went to the first male, to the male lineage. That's the way it was in Paul's day and in Roman culture. What he's doing here is using the language of his culture that can be understood, but he's applying this concept of the privileges of sonship to all believers, male and female. So while he's using his cultural context to help us understand the privileges of sonship that the people of Rome would have clearly understood, he's taking those privileges and applying them to all of us. So he's, he's not being sexist here, all right? The word children is used three different times in the passage, verse 16, verse 17, and verse 21. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? The children of God. Verse 17, and if what? Children, then heirs. And then over in verse 21, the creation itself set free to obtain the freedom, the glory of the children of God. So I'm trying to make a case that essentially what Sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees, if you know what I'm saying. So as you get into the granular of the study of Romans 8, which we will do in ways, you can't miss the bigger picture because Paul is clearly wanting us to walk away from this passage understanding something, that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are, well, look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Are sons of God. In other words, this is us. You're part of the family. You, if you are in Jesus Christ, you belong to God as his children. So our main point this morning, and if you've got something to write with, I hope you'll write it down. I'm going to give you one main point. I'm going to give you five privileges of being children of God, and that's gonna be the whole of the message today, all right? So the main point is this. As children of God, we are secure by his spirit. We are sustained by hope, and we are assured of a glorious future with him that far outweighs our present sufferings. As children of God, we're secure by his spirit, we're sustained by hope, and we're assured of a glorious future with him that far outweighs our present sufferings. And I really believe that today's message is gonna speak right to your heart. I believe every point is meant to speak to your heart, but there's probably gonna be one or two points today that are gonna speak more loudly and clearly than others because I believe all of us in ways are in process of learning what it looks like to really receive the reality that he has received us as his children and to really receive the blessings and the privileges that God wants to pour out into your life simply because you are his loved child. So this morning we're gonna walk through five privileges of life as children of God, and the first one is this, the privilege of security. 
the privilege of security. I think about Davian's family background, and you just hear the insecurity in his heart as he wonders who is he and as he seeks to discover where does he belong. And I really believe this morning that there are many of us who are on a journey out of a life of great insecurity, wondering who we are and where we belong toward greater security. And part of what God wants to do in your life as his child is give you ever increasing measures of security, assurance, confidence in your belonging with him. Let's look at the text, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I want to focus in on this phrase, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as children, all right? So essentially, if you break it down, I'm going to do just a quick breakdown. One of the things I covered last week is when we received Jesus, the promise of Jesus in our life is we receive his Holy Spirit. So repent, turning from sin and self and turning toward Jesus, from the first moment of, of our hearts cry toward Jesus for salvation, for him to make us new, for him to come into our life, for us to, to live surrendered to him, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. To receive Jesus is to receive his presence with us, the gift of the Spirit of God. But here... What this verse is teaching us is that, okay, so when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, but when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive adoption. So it's essentially like at the moment of our turning to Jesus, at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and at the same time, papers are filed down at the courthouse. And all of us who had been orphaned, all of us who had been Apart from the family of God. At that moment, God signs his name to the papers to receive us in as his forever children. So to receive Jesus is to receive the Spirit, and to receive the Spirit is to receive adoption. That's what this verse is teaching us. So the implication of this is as Christians, all of us are adopted as God's own children. Every single one of us now have a forever family. We have been adopted. So this is something that God's asking you to embrace as a new part of your understanding of yourself and a new part of your understanding with him. You are adopted. You are a loved child of God. You now have a forever family with him 
and with all who belong to him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John writes and he says, see, like, yo, like, can you believe, like, pay attention to this, like, can you believe what happened? Look at this. See the kind of love. What kind of love does God have for you? You might ask the question, what kind of love does God have for me? On a daily basis, your, your heart begins to wonder, does he love me? See, see what kind of love God has for you, that he's given to you, that you, that we should be called what? Children of God. And then he reemphasizes it. And so we are. So essentially what he's asking you to embrace is this new reality that's happened in your life. You are a loved child of God. You want to know what kind of love God has for you? Look at this reality. He has chosen you. He has chosen to receive you, sign the papers at the courthouse. You who were once without a family now have been brought into his family. He is committed to you as, his, as your father. And he is committed to you because you are his child. So, as Christians, we're all adopted. But the important thing to understand, just like our series title, right? What he's done. That's the song we've been singing. What he's done. I'm not a good singer. All the glory and the honor to the Son. Okay, thank you for helping me on that. So we've been trying to reemphasize this again and again and again because all of this is a gift of God. The Gospel of John, this is different than 1 John that I just quoted. This is the Gospel of John, one of the four primary Gospels. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, teaches us this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. In other words, he's saying, yes, uh, just like Davian, like, there's a come a point in your life where you, 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 you could almost picture like a cry for salvation like Davian's plea in the church that day. Like I'm holding up a sign like I need a family. The difference is for us, we know that our not having a family is our responsibility. We walked away from family. But it's coming back in and going, I, I, I need a family, God, and I want you. I want you. There is a work that has to happen, like we receive him. But our receiving of him is, is predicated on him receiving of us. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have to recognize this is his choice to love us first. Before we ever loved him, he loved us. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave his son for the propitiation of our sins. His love is a first love. And he receives us. He gives us the right to become children of God. We have to recognize that this birth, it, it's not biological. You can't explain it. Like this, this is because of something my mom and dad did biologically. This is because of the country I was born into 
or the race I was born into, the socioeconomic status I was born into. No, this, this becoming a child of God has nothing to do with anything you explain according to flesh. He says that next, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Don't think that this is something that you have done to make yourself a child of God. No, these children are born of God. These are ones who are like Jesus told to Nicodemus, we have to be born again. There's gotta be a new work in our life by the Spirit of God. But for all who turn to Jesus, what he's saying is, those who receive Jesus receive the Spirit, and those who receive the Spirit receive the right to become children of God. You tracking so far? Okay. So, I wanna go back to verse 15, and I wanna hit this home. He says, you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, And in verse 16, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness that we are, this is again the language of 1 John, this we are, we are children of God. So what he's saying is, one of the works in the Spirit of your life is that he helps you to have assurance, to have security. You are his Middle school, little notes. He loves me, he loves me not. Check, yes or no. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and checks yes every day. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. He loves you. 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 You are his. He is yours. He loves you. He loves you. That is the work of the Spirit in our life, bearing witness within us that truly we are His children. But there's a choice for us to make, and this is where I want to really hit it home. Because verse 15 tells us, which is why I'm highlighting the first privilege of of, of being a child of God is, is security, because he says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to what? Fall back into fear. So what he's saying to you is there's a choice that you gotta make. Are you going to live as a slave or are you gonna live as a son? Are you going to live out of a place of security, knowing that you're his because of his love for you and the work that he's done on your behalf, or are you going to live in a place of insecurity? Are you going to live out of fear, or are you going to live with assurance and with peace? Luke 15, there's a story of the prodigal son And the son knew that he had done so wrong, and he had. But the son goes back, and instead of believing and being able to receive that he could be actually like accepted again as a son, he went back basically thinking like, I I think I just gotta be a hard hand. And he gives the speech to his father, basically like, I I know I've done wrong, but, but I'm gonna try to prove it to you, I'm gonna work hard, blah, 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 blah. 
And the father has to basically stop him in his tracks and correct him and say, son, shut up. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. That's not in the Bible. I love you. I'm just so glad you're home. Here, take my coat. Like, let me put my ring on your finger. Let me remind you of who you are. I don't want to treat you like a hired hand. You are my son. Hey, kill the, the, the best cows. Hey, get the party ready. Let's celebrate. Because today is a day of rejoicing. I am just so thankful that my loved son is back home. Grace. And some of us have a hard time with grace, don't we? Some of us have a hard time believing and receiving that it really is real, that God has put his love upon us, that God has signed the papers, that we forever will be loved by God. We have a belonging with him as his children. Friends, we've got to live with security. We gotta, there should be a kind of confidence that should be ever growing in her life, that we belong to him. We belong to a loving father. Before I move on to the next point, the second privilege, I just want to stop and say, are you battling with insecurity spiritually? Or just in life in general? And I got to ask you a question. Why do you think that might be? When there's insecurity that pops up in your life, Do you think it may be because you're shopping for identity horizontally when we're meant to shop for it vertically? If there's insecurity in your life, could it be that you're looking too much for assurance of things that will never be able to give you assurance? I just want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Look to God. I'll tell you, this week, personally, has been a week where I have battled insecurity in major ways. My issues are probably different than yours. But I know that I know that I know that I still need the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and in my mind such that I might live with an inner confidence in just belonging to God as his child, a loved child of God. And that I might operate out of security rather than out of insecurity. See, we're meant to live out of a place of total security in God. Before we start the day, before we enter any relationship, any task, any assignment, we have got, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to let God do his work and just reminding us, assuring us, let his spirit testify our spirit. We are his. You're as loved as you ever could ever hope or imagine. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. He loves you today with his fullness. There's nothing you could do to make him love you less and there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. He loves you. And out of a place of total security, out of overflow, we're meant to operate in the rest of life. I just wanna ask, is there something you could ask the Spirit to do in your life, even this week? As you move forward in your Christian life, daily life as a Christian looks like living as a secure and loved child of God. Number two. Not only does it look like living with security, but it looks like living with intimacy. It looks like living with intimacy. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones is quoted as saying, God is not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually, theologically, theoretically, doctrinally only. All of this is possible to one who is not a child of God at all. See, what happens in our life as a, when we become children is we, we learn God in ways that are not of our head. We learn him in our heart. We learn him in our experience and in the intimacy of our life. I'll prove this to you by looking at the text. Verse 15. He says, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, and this is the phrase I want to focus on right here, Abba, Father. All right? Anybody know what the word Abba means? That's right. Some of y'all got it. It means daddy. Do you know what language it comes from? Aramaic, all right? Some of y'all were looking at me like, uh-oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing, so I'm not going to say anything at all, all right? This is an Aramaic term, and it means daddy. Uh, I could be in a room, and I've done this before. It's really a fun exercise. I could be in a room with other adults and uh, our girls, especially Emma right now. She is two, about to turn three. I can't believe it, y'all. Emma Grace is going to be turning three in like two weeks. Some of y'all remember when she was born. I feel like it was yesterday. She is our pandemic baby. Like two weeks into the pandemic, we had Emma Grace. So she's the age of how long ago that was. It's very interesting to look at age in the face of a child. I digress. Emma Grace, she's two years old, and this works really well with her. I could be in a room with you. Let's say you and I are in a room, and, and she's there present. And I go, what's my name? And I look at you. What's my name? And you'll say, Barrett. And she'll go, No! I'm like, yeah, his name is Barrett. No, daddy. That's the only name she knows for me. She didn't call me Barrett. Now, now Caroline, eight years old, unfortunately, she's starting to feel too cool for school. And occasionally she calls me Barrett. (laughs) Not cool, all right? What does Emma Grace know about me when she calls me daddy? None of you call me that. What does that name imply to her? (laughs) Love. Abundant love. Trust. Familiarity. Closeness. Notice this word right here. By home we cry. Just yesterday, daddy! It was an argument between her and her sister, right? It wasn't that big of a deal. But there's other times where it is a big deal. And I'm not trying to say that I'm the only one she calls out to. Of course, her mom equally loved and trusted and familiar. But for the sake of this teaching today, I'll talk about her relationship with me. When she gets in trouble, when she hurts, when she has need, when she's hungry, when she's tired. She wants to be wrapped up. Sometimes she doesn't even have words. And just my presence is more than enough for her to know love is near. I am near. 
She's got my ear. She's got my, my heart. The Bible says that the Spirit of God works on our life in such a way that it leads us into a new experience with God that is defined by this kind of daddy intimacy. That we learn God, not just through the words of the page of a book, but we learn God in our experience in the most close of, of close ways. We learn him as our most trusted relationship, as our closest friend, as the one who, if there's anyone else that I can call to, I know I can call my dad. If there's anyone else that I can depend on, I know that I can depend on my dad. If there's anyone else that I can go to for comfort and consolation, even when I don't even have words to describe what I'm going through, I know that my dad will come running. I have an experience of intimacy with my father such that he is no longer just God, although I revere him as supremely holy and powerful and worthy, but I also know and I'm growing to know that I can also run to him as my dad. What a gift, you guys. What a gift to know that the same kind of intimacy that Jesus himself experienced time and time again, I think about John 17 as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with sweat to the point of blood pouring down and he's bearing his soul and he's receiving the comfort of a father. Jesus knew the closeness of God in those ways. In the same way that Jesus experienced God as a daddy, now that we have been adopted into the family, we also can experience God in those ways. How amazing is that? Galatians chapter four, verse six, echoes the same thing because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Crying, again, the language, Abba, Father. What's so amazing is here in Galatians, it says that the Spirit cries Abba. In Romans, it says we cry Abba. And so there's this wonderful description of how God is at work in the lives of those who are his children, bringing us ever-increasing degrees of intimacy with him. I wonder today, um, I just wonder if there are those of us who kind of today might go, you know, like, there's so many things that I know, like conceptually, doctrinally, theologically about God, but a work of the Spirit that I, earnestly desire is to learn God, not just with my head, but, but in my heart and, and, and with the fullness of my life. I, I want to learn more of the life of intimacy with God. And I wonder today if there might be an opportunity for you just to lean in and to, and to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to lead you 
to experience God, to lead you to the kind of faith and surrender that would allow for there to be increasing opportunities to discover his intimacy. The real joy of being a Christian is just being with God all the time. It's not waiting for some future date that we'll get, and we'll talk about a future date as we close this message today, but it's not just waiting for something in the future. It's an experience with God that's available today. The entire work of salvation in your life is to give you the gift again of the presence of God. And so enjoy his presence. Enjoy relating to him in those spaces of intimacy. Third, the third privilege of life as a child of God is inheritance. I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but we'll look at verses 17 and 18 because he says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So what he's teaching here, verse 17b, is that not only do we, when we receive Jesus, we receive the spirit of adoption, where we now belong to a new family, this secures us, this gives us intimacy, but also, you guys, you, what's so crazy is it's like, um, y'all ever seen the movie or the Broadway play Annie? All right, y'all know what I'm talking about Daddy Warbucks? Warbucks or Warbuck? I don't really know. I always call him Warbucks because he has a lot of bucks, all right? <laughs> the whole premise of the story is, can, can you even believe that this, the, the change of life from orphan Annie to now the heiress of an unbelievable fortune I don't know if y'all know this, but Warren Buffett and his wife Susan actually adopted a kid. His name is Peter. Uh, if y'all don't know Warren Buffett, he's a billionaire. Peter did not know growing up that his mom and dad were who they were and had what they had. I'm not sure how you don't know that. I'm not really sure, but apparently that's the story, okay? But can you imagine coming to a place of recognition that because of the choice, the love of my mom and dad, see, I didn't have a family at all. And suddenly Warren and Susan, when you think back to your life and you're going, wow, like I was orphaned without a family and Warren and, wait, Warren and Susan Buffett and you grow up and you start reading about this and you start realizing or having conversations, maybe it's direct conversations with their parent and you start realizing what family you got adopted into. Can you imagine the sense of like, what? It's Orphan Annie and Daddy Warbucks and you're like, wait, what? What Paul is asking you to recognize is you have been, you see, you are orphaned by your own choice to walk away from God. And yet he set his love upon you and he came after you. He chose you and he's brought you back in. He signed the dotted line and now you are his child. You have a forever family with him, but do you know, like at what point 
Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to keep growing you up? See, as Peter matured in the Buffett family, he had to learn more and more and more about what exactly had happened to him and now what exactly is available to him. And in our life with God, part of what the Spirit of God wants to do is to teach us more and more and more about the family we've been adopted into. Do you know that you are an heir of God? Like all that he has is now freely given to you. You are co-heir with Jesus Christ. How in the world does that even seem possible? It certainly does not seem fair that I would stand as an equal recipient of blessing because of what he has done for me. Verse 18 says, for I consider the present Sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, do you see what is coming? God wants us to understand and to appreciate. Listen, some of y'all right now, are you, is anybody here in the room today feeling like they're just barely scraping by in some areas of life? It's okay, you don't have to say anything. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's emotionally, Maybe it's relationally. Um, maybe there, there's a myriad of ways it could be. I want you to remember what's coming to you. You belong to a good and incredibly gracious and incredibly generous Father. All that is available, that is good in the world, is His. And because he loves you, and because you are his child, he makes himself and the manifold resources of his goodness and grace and gifts available to you. So while the world, in the eyes of the world, you might feel like, I ain't got nothing. In Jesus Christ, you have everything. And we gotta live out of the framework being his child. I wonder today, before I move to the next point, does anyone here need the Spirit of God to do a work in your life to give you a mindset toward what you have that you might start looking not at the world and the way the world counts success, the world counts resources or blessings or whatever, but you might start looking at God and as the song that I got taught as a little kid goes, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Anybody else heard that song? All right. I used to hate it when my mom would sing that to me. Because usually it would be, it, right before it, I've said, Mom, life sucks. My friends are mean. I hate this paper, whatever it is. Count your blessings, name them one. And maybe she didn't choose the best time. (laughs) But she meant well. We need the Spirit of God to redirect our minds and our hearts toward the inheritance that we have received in Jesus Christ that we might not be focused on what we don't have, but we focus on what we do have in Jesus Christ. And some of us need, out of today's message, to 
ask the Spirit of God daily, would you help me to count the blessings that I have in you? Like Peter Buffett, would you help me to understand in ever-increasing ways what you've done and what's available to me because of what you've done that I might count the blessings I've received in you? Number four, likeness. The fourth privilege of life as a child of God is likeness. I get this from verse 17. And he says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And then he says this, provided that we might suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. that we might suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. And I'm gonna ask you to turn down to a verse that's not in our text for the day, but it's right in this chapter, verse 29. It's right there if you just go down in your text. For he says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn upon, among many brothers. Conformed. This is a God, work of God in our life. He's working in our life Verse 17 says, he's working in our life as a dad. We're his child. And part of what dads do is they raise up children, all right? Good dads invest in their kids. And they invest in their kids with purpose, not to control their kids, not to just make their kids exactly like them. They love their kids. I love my two girls. And I want them to grow up learning how to live in the way that God has designed. And I do it imperfectly, but God, as a father, does it perfectly. God is at work in the life of his kids. He's at work that we might be glorified with him. He's moving us beyond just where we started. He's moving us toward a point of greater likeness of him and with a purpose of preparing us for the day that that likeness will be made whole in his image in his presence. He says in verse 29, I'm working to conform you to the image of my son. All right, so anybody knows, if you were a foster kid and you got to a new family, you get adopted to a new family, you're gonna learn that family. You're gonna learn the DNA of the family, you're gonna learn the nature of the family, the values of the family, you're gonna, like in my family, my girls say, whoopsie daisy, you know, that's something I say. I'm, I'm sorry that I do say that. Um, there's, there's things like I sneeze three times. They were laughing at me this past week because I'll sneeze and I can't just sneeze once. I sneeze three times. And after the third sneeze, I always go, goodness, like I'm surprised by the fact that I'm still sneezing three times in a row. Well, Caroline now she goes, goodness, you know, and stuff like that after she sneezes. There's just things that happen when you're in a family, you learn rhythms of life, like our family movie night on Friday nights. There's just a certain way that we do things. And there's certain things that we enjoy doing together. We always are in church on Sunday mornings. That is our family. When you get put into a new family, you learn your parents and you learn life in the family. And what God is saying here is he's at work in us to mold our character to be like him. He wants us to learn him and to learn life in the family. I say this every single year in August, and I'm gonna say it today and you'll hear it again in August, so please stay around because I will really enjoy repeating it to you, all right? God is far more concerned with your character than with your circumstance. And God is far more concerned with your character than your comfort. 
And by character, I mean Christ-likeness. Some of us go to God and we pray, we pray, we pray, and we want our circumstances to change or we want things to get more comfortable. And I'm not trying to say that God doesn't have mercy, doesn't have compassion, that he doesn't care about circumstance. Of course he does. But what I am saying is far more important than your circumstance or your comfort is your character. You're moving toward Christ. And part of what the Spirit of God gives you the privilege of doing as a child of God is belonging to one who is after your heart. And he's gonna work and work and work in your life as his child to move you to greater degrees of likeness of him. And that is a good gift in our lives. Won't you agree? I'm so thankful that God is after my heart. And interesting that he says here in verse 17, provided we suffer with him. I think about Hebrews chapter 12, when it says in verse three, starting, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, look at Jesus. Look at his sufferings. As he lived in the family, you could not get more in the family of God than Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And yet, suffered. Consider Jesus. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one who he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. For it's for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as children, as sons. For what son is there who the father does not discipline? In other words, he's going, if you don't discipline kids, you don't love them. If you're left without discipline, he goes on and says, in which you've all participated, then you're all illegitimate children and you're not sons. And besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Not a single person here would go, ooh, I just love to suffer. I just love it when I feel the circumstantial squeeze. I just love it when I get to this point where I go, God, all I have is you. No. The most painful of days in our lives, I don't think any of us would necessarily want to repeat. And yet, all of us could say that it was the most painful moments in our lives that we learned God the most. Something in those moments caused us to move toward God and to learn him with desperation and dependence. And later, he says, verse 11, chapter 12 of Hebrews, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. I can tell you, that over my years as being a child of God, God has had to work and work and work and work and work in me to get me to be more like him. I am a stubborn soul. Anybody give witness to that? Sometimes I have to learn lessons hard ways. And one of the beauties though that I can testify to, I've had some years recently that have been marked by some of the most profound inner suffering that I've ever faced. A lot of different reasons for it. But I can honestly tell you 
that there were parts of God that I never knew until I went through what I went through. And there are ways now, oh, God is still at work in me. Please be patient. He's not finished with me yet. But there are ways now that I believe I have grown to be like him more than I was like him before I went through those things. A few weeks ago, Caroline forgot her homework folder, realized it on the way to school. Project, papers, homework, do. What do you as a parent do? Do you rescue in that moment or do you let her have to face the pain of, sweetie, you, you, you are responsible for that. You know that. And she has to walk into the classroom that day and tell Miss Goffin, I don't have it because I didn't put it in my bag. Woo, as a parent, that sucks. Everything in me wanted to, I mean, I'm only 10 minutes from school. Michelle calls me, she forgot her folder. Everything in me goes, I'll just run it over to school. She has to learn something. And in that moment of suffering, while it was hard for her in a moment, it yielded fruit in the long term because we haven't forgotten our homework folder since, praise God, all right? (laughs) There's something at work in her and that moment led to maturity. God is at work in our lives to bring maturity. And sometimes the things that feel the most discomforting or the most unsettling are actually the things that God's using to get our attention and move us toward Jesus. And when he moves us toward Jesus, we need to be grateful because he's at work to make us nearer to him and more like him. Amen? Last but not least, and I close, is the fifth privilege. Oh, by the way, oops, I forgot a verse on number four. If you want to cross-reference 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him like he is. Isn't that a great comfort? To know that one day, the work that he started, like Philippians once said, is a work that he will finish. Praise God. Number five. The fifth privilege and the last one, and I close, of life as a child of God is that we have hope. I will begin to discuss this right now, and I will continue to discuss this as we finish this chapter next week, but we have hope. For I consider, Paul says, that the present sufferings of this time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, what Paul's saying is, many people ask the question, is it worth it? I read a quote this week that spoke to my heart deeply. It's from Tim Challies, who writes a blog that I follow. I posted a little thing on Instagram. If you saw my Instagram, you saw it. Um, So the Christian life can basically be described as having one hand to the plow and the other hand wiping away tears. Those who've walked with the Lord long enough know that like trite sayings and like, I'm always happy, I'm always great, it's just not true. Life is hard. This weekend, our elder team fielded several calls from our church family. It's hard. Pain is real. It's not all cocktails and music. I mean, I have no problem with celebration. I want to enjoy the goodness of life. But we also have to be real with each other that, like, life is not always good, is it? Every day is not always perfect. And some, people, some of us ask the question, is it worth it? 
Like, I'm tired of wiping away tears. Like, I'm tired of this feeling of like, ugh, this is so hard, it's so broken. Paul's getting our attention in verse 18, and he's going, look, if you know where you're heading in the future, you, you don't even have to entertain the question, is it worth it? Because what you're experiencing right now, it doesn't even compare to what is coming. For the creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing and expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. All I can picture in this is like, the, in the Beauty and the Beast, please forgive me for the Disney reference, I have two girls at home, and I happen to love it. I would, if I had two boys, we'd still love Beauty and the Beast, but I'm not gonna say that. In the Beauty and the Beast, and it's like this dark castle, ooh, scary claw marks, and they, all the people had been, by this curse, like transformed into a footstool and a teapot and this hideous beast. And they, they, they get glimpses of this, this is such a redeeming story, they get glimpses of this redemption coming into their life through Belle and the father, Belle taking the father's place and this redemption is being worked out. And, and then there's this moment though of, of, of that kind of full redeeming moment when Belle gives love to, to the beast and before the last petal falls and all the things. And the, the gold pixie dust, you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden like, all of the, the, the footstool and the teapot, they become people again. And, and this old Hades castle like transforms and it's like, whoa, like could you even imagine that this hideous, dark, awful place was actually like this totally renewed, the same thing, like totally renewed. And I, I picture that in verse 19 for like, there's this eager longing for the day that the work of redemption that has been started will be complete, and I don't think it'll come with pixie dust and gold tinkerbells and all that kind of stuff, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But I am trying to say there, even in our current stories, we almost anticipate and long for the kind of thing that the Bible promises will be true. There will come a day when God will bring total renewal, and we will be seen to have been people who have not hoped in vain. Those of us who are children will be seen as children and we will all go, it was worth it. It was worth it. See you guys right now, verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. By the way, this same word is the translation of the word that Ecclesiastes is used as vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruption and obtain to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Man, everything right now feels like it's in bondage to decay and it's because it is. All of creation is yearning. It says here in verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Ever since sin entered the world, there has been a clear understanding of brokenness, and there's been a deep heart cry. Oh, could we just see it redeemed? The tornadoes in Mississippi this weekend. We have some friends who were down there in Amory, had shelter in place. Thankfully, they're okay. The destruction, the sex trafficking that many of us in the city are fighting, the brokenness, the poverty, the senseless violence. Today, the malnutrition in many parts of the world, the lack of medicines. There was a planning meeting this week. I was trying to figure out how to work with corrupt governments to get just basic medicines that people need. Why can't we get just basic help in? 
Oh, the frustration, the groaning of creation and of societies and the world at large until now. And not only that, but we feel the groaning in ourselves. When will it be made new? Those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the fullness of what God has promised. But friends, I bring to you a last word. Keep hoping. Because none of the frustration of this current time will have the last word. Jesus Christ and his love for you and his promise toward you and his plans for all things to make all things new, he will have the last word. And your frustration will turn into fulfillment. Just as um, childbearing is, is, is not easy, I just want to say, us guys, we need to respect the women, okay? Unbelievable pain in natural childbirth. But as soon as your baby arrives, this is easy for me to say because I'm the guy, I wasn't in the pain, but I've heard from women, all right, including my wife, as soon as the face of your baby arrives, the pain is superseded by joy. And you almost forget what you just went through because you're just so glad for what has arrived. And what I'm trying to say to you today is right now, we are in pain. The Bible's honest with us. He, God knows the current struggles and groanings and pain. But hold on to hope. Yes, you can't see it right now. Who hopes in, 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 in what he sees? No, verse 25, we hope for what we don't see. But friends, wait for it with patience because he who promised, he is faithful. Hold on to hope because the pain will be superseded by joy of what is to come. Though this sorrow may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. I close with an illustration from John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He said, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate. He's got news, he's got a massive estate waiting on him and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. John Newton thought that would be a silly thing, not minimizing the brokenness of the carriage, but a silly thing to focus solely on the brokenness when something so much better is to come. And thus he penned the words to the song that we all know so well, "'Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. One of the privileges of a child of God is that you can be one of hope. As we close this morning, I want to just encourage you as we sing this closing song and as we move toward response,
to just consider what grace it is to be called a child of God. And I really want you to, to think about these things that we've been talking about today. I want you to think about um, if there is a work that you can pray for the Spirit of God to do in your life to increase your sense of security as a child, to increase your sense of intimacy and experience of intimacy with him. Maybe this morning it's getting your eyes off circumstance and getting your eyes onto the blessing, the inheritance that is coming, that is yours in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning it's leaning into God and saying, God, help me to change my prayer. Help me to, to pray less about just changing circumstance. But God, I'm, I'm going to surrender you today and I'm just going to ask you to change my heart. I've been praying for comfort, but God, I want to pray for Christ. And maybe that today is just something you want to lean into. Pray for more likeness. Or maybe today it's that last point. You're in the middle of pain. You're in the middle of suffering. You feel the groaning around you and you feel the groaning within you. And today you're just reminded it's worth it. It's worth it. Because in the end, God will redeem you fully. He will make good on this promise and he will see you home. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.